How can I take a fairly dry and some might say boring, uh, non-sexy service such as law, which is often laden with jargon, and turn it into something that people actually want to read? That's a brilliant question. Let's ask Catherine Wildman from Hayden Gray. Hello, listener. You are extraordinarily welcome to B2B Q&A, the podcast where we go in search of an answer to your question about B2B content writing. This is episode 106. In a moment, B2B copywriter Catherine Wildman will share the methods she uses to get to the bottom of what's interesting about boring and complicated companies. We'll also get a copywriting tip from Melanie Barnfield and some more inclusive writing advice from Etty Bailey King. Before all of that, though, we should introduce ourselves. My name's David Maguire. I'm Creative Director at Radix Communications, the B2B writing agency, and we have a brilliant guest co-host this month. If you work in marketing, it's someone whose words you have almost certainly read basically on a daily basis. It's WeTransfer's senior copywriter, Robin Collinge. Robin, welcome. Thank you. Hello. I'm unnecessarily excited to be here. Um, at the risk of making my life sound way more put together than it actually is, I mentioned to David that I had just put being on my first podcast on my list of goals for this year. So here I am. That's amazing. It's like serendipity. That's, <laughs> here we make wishes come true. That's, that, that's what we do. Well, would you like to perform uh, your first official duty uh, as, as guest co-host and uh, let the listener know how they can get in touch with us? Yeah, I can certainly try. Um, so listeners, if you have any comments or suggestions, you can find Radix on LinkedIn or Twitter. At Radix.com Or if you want us to answer your question on a future episode, record a quick voice note and send it by email. Podcast at radix-communications.com That's done like a pro. It sounds like you've been doing it for years. Stop. (laughs) Copywriting pro tip. Hi, I'm Melanie Barfield, aka All Copy Mel. I'm a freelance copywriter and my copy tip for beginners is to just chuck your copy into the Hemingway editor. It's at HemingwayApp.com and it highlights any issues in different colours like where your sentences are too long or where you could shorten and simplify your copy to make it more punchy. You can't take it all as gospel, but it's a really quick, free, visual way to see at a glance where you could simplify your copy. Thanks, Melanie. That's a great tip. Um, I'm a bit of a slave to Google Docs myself, but I'll definitely give it a try. Now, who is asking this month's question? My name's Dave Briggs. I'm the marketing manager at National Co. Solicitors in Plymouth. And my question is, how can I take a fairly dry and some might say boring, uh, non-sexy service such as law, which is often laden with jargon, and turn it into something that people actually want to read? I love this question because I'm such a huge advocate for writing like you speak. I'll tell anyone that will listen that one of the biggest misconceptions about writing or like communicating in general is that using unnecessarily long and complex words will make you sound smarter. When in fact, I think it just does the opposite and it'll just intimidate and alienate your audience. 
So I can't wait to hear from Catherine as she tackles this question. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think as B2B and tech copywriters ourselves, we spend all this time making dull things interesting and complicated things simple, but maybe we don't spend enough time breaking down the how of that, how we do that in practice. So, as you said, to answer Dave's question, uh, I contacted one of the most creative B2B copywriters I know, Catherine Wildman at Hayden Gray. And I started by asking her Dave's question. How do you take a non-sexy, boring subject that's laden with jargon and turn it into something people actually want to read? I was thinking about this and my dad was an insurance underwriter, which is about as dry as it gets, isn't it? But he used to come home from work and tell us stories about climbing up the mill chimneys in um, Huddersfield, where I grew up. And he would only tell us when, when he'd done that. He wouldn't tell mum he was about to, but he would tell us. <laughs> and he would tell us about the people in the mill and the people who worked there. And it was always, always, always about the people that he talked to. And I think the thing that I approach any project like this with is just a raft of very simple questions. And I saw a great thing on LinkedIn that said, we don't ask daft questions. It's called applying intelligent naivety. And it's something that... Oh, I like that. Yeah, isn't it lovely? It's really nice. And people go, ooh, like, you know, come on, you're clever, which is always nice. And I think it's about sitting with people in the room and making them, forcing them to break it down for you, which means you have to pretend to be far more ignorant than you might be. Or you might be extraordinarily ignorant. I did a project about cryptocurrency recently, and I had to ask a lot of really basic questions, which is, but what do you mean? But what do you mean? So what is it? So what? why does that do that? And the secret to making people break it down, which I find very hard, is to shut up and just look like you don't know what they're saying until you understand what they're saying. And don't pretend to know. So it's it's a question of making sure that you could then take it to somebody in the playground to another parent in the playground or to your elderly mom or your grandma and say oh I'm doing this project and what they do is xyz and until you can break it down to xyz so it's not x with a flourish y with a flourish z with a you know some little acronyms thrown in it has to be broken down so that you understand it and once you understand it and you can feed it back to them then you've absolutely cracked it and then how you then make that glossy and interesting I think, is you you throw it back to them and then you you sort of get a feel for where they want to go with their tone of voice. So whether they want to be edgy or they want to be very, very sturdy, run of the mill, or they want to perhaps for some people, just the simple fact of breaking it down into Janet and John English is enough to make them stand out. So at that point, I would look at what other companies in the field are doing in the UK and abroad you'll find like particularly Australian, New Zealand companies can be really quite wacky where we won't go that far, but you can see where you could take it um, and see where you can pitch them in the middle of all the, the competition that they're trying to gain business from or do business alongside. How can you make them stand out? So then you bring along, you know, the voice box kit. Nick's brilliant kit where he's broken down these 11 voices and you can show sorry, them. Yeah, this is for the for the audience this is Nick Parker's yes. kit yeah sorry so Nick Parker's brilliant voice box kit which mine is getting raggedy around the edges and Nick has these brilliant examples of how do financial companies write about themselves how do insurance companies write about themselves 
And you can see people's faces light up in the room where they go, oh, so we could do that. They've never thought that they could do anything other than this business-focused solutions, all of the stuff that we wade through every day and become a little bit more human and a little bit more approachable and a little bit more understandable. And then it makes life easier for everybody. And then and they can choose and you can see, you can read the temperature in the room as to where they want to go with it. And all of a sudden, you've got this very dry, turgid, verbose reams and reams of copy that become like a conversation. And as soon as you're having a conversation, somebody wants to engage with you. Absolutely. And one of the things I, I was interested is that that you were talking very much about how your dad was telling stories about how that you know Mm. not that so much the insurance but what was being insured and what the insurance meant are there kind of once you've got the the way that you're writing about the subject then there's the issue of what you Mm. write about right yes so then it's a question of asking people to paint you a picture so if they have, for example, policy insurance in place, what happens if something goes horribly wrong? And then what happens if they have this policy in place and how they can sleep at night? So all those human emotions where you're basically wanting to either save people time, save them peace of mind, save them money, make them money. How does their life improve by having this in place? And again, it's those Janet and John Flinty details where somebody can come to it afresh and just read it and understand straight away what you're talking about. They're not having to try and decipher the language. Um, and it just makes it simple and accessible. And, and your work is to break down those horrible pages and pages of words to just go, well, actually, what does that actually say? And usually, the, the ratio is usually about sort of six paragraphs to half a paragraph. <laughs> really and they'll be a bit nervous about that because that's very bold and scary but also it saves so much time particularly if you've then got a messaging framework in place and and then everybody's everybody's lives are just so much easier um and I think another layer that I would throw on when you're doing your competitor research is if there's something where you can look at reviews online and I know Joe at Copy Hackers talks about this which is mining for voice of customer so it could be that you're looking at Trustpilot. It could be that you're looking at Google Ads. It could be that you're looking at what people are saying about the competitors and what they do well. Can you take that line and apply it to your company? And ask the people in the room why they come to work every day. What is it that gets them out of bed? What is it that makes them feel like they're making a difference? Because people, people in big businesses don't tend to get asked questions like that. You know, how did you get here? Why are you here? What makes you, you know, sit on the train for an hour every day again now to come and do this? It's not just so that you can pay the mortgage. What is it that lights your candle about it? And can you share a little bit of that passion? Because people will have a story to tell and there'll be something, there'll be a nugget, that hand on the door in the doctor's surgery where they turn around and they just say something and you've just got that gold dust, you've got that line. Yeah, absolutely. Is there an element with um, something like, commercial law for example where you need to use a certain amount of the 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 right language or else people might feel that you're not taking it seriously or they might not take you seriously because I know from a stakeholder's kind of point of view Mm. they'll go if we don't say the right words that all our competitors are saying 
then you know the audience. If the, if the audience is already in a world where where some jargon is fairly established, mm. is there a balance there? There's a lovely balance to be achieved, and as well, Mr. Google needs the words, doesn't he? Mr. Google needs the search words, but I think there's a way that you can scatter them rather than drown us in them. Um, Vicky Ross put a beautiful post on LinkedIn just last night about if, if you need to be careful where you pitch the language because if you're trying to say something that's too technical for your audience, you're going to exclude that audience. And if you say something that's too simple, they don't want to be talked down to or, or explained to. So there's that pitch of where you're going to be and and as well paying heed to Mr Google who does need to find this lovely company in the midst of everything. It's making sure that the people who need the product can get the product. Catherine Every again did a brilliant post about a crypto. It was a crypto ad. And, and you, you read this ad that she posted on LinkedIn, wouldn't have a clue. And I think as copywriters, we understand quite a lot about quite a lot of things. But I looked at this thing and thought that could be in a foreign language for all I know. But what was so clever and what Catherine highlighted was the people that need to know will know that that's exactly for them. So it cuts out everybody else. So you're speaking exactly to your to your audience. And that's, again, that's your audience research. That's understanding how far down the buyer journey people are. If they're doing, you know, policy three, do they really need to read these documents again? No. Do you need to attach them? Yes. Can you make their lives easier? Yeah, probably very much so. Even if it's just the way that you lead into. And some people do it, and they're quite irreverent, you know, read this later. Are there go-to questions or approaches that, 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 that you have, you know, if you're trying to pull out what's interesting in a, in a dull subject? So I, I always start every project with um, you get as many people as possible on the call, from the really senior people to the sales team, to the marketers, to everybody. And my first question is, so what do you do? And then the secret is to shut up. And, let, and they will all, they'll wait for everybody else to chip in. And the secret is to shut up until everybody has said every little last thing they could possibly say. And then they'll chip in again. And your thing is to just be quiet. And then my next question is, so why should I care? And they're like, oh, oh, oh. And, it's, and it gets to be, people say after I've drilled down into things, you know, it was like a therapy session. And I've had people in tears. I've had people resolving long-standing problems that have been going on in the business. But it's a question of asking why. And then this is another copy hackers tip, which is so that, so that, so you do that so that, and it gets people right down into the absolute essence of why they do what they do and how and for whom. And it's, you just, people come up with things that are really surprising. And it's, and it's a question of until you absolutely understand that you can't go any further down that particular line, you keep asking. And, and for me, the hard thing is to not pretend that I know and to presume. So have confidence that the people that you're talking to know what they're doing and why and you are just there to be the mirror and to ask questions and to get them to tell you about it. It's that in, was it intelligent naivety or some intelligent? Naivety. It, it's that thing, isn't it? That that sometimes I think that we have a 
as external writers, we kind of have a license to be the dumbest person in the room. Totally. Where if you're an in-house marketer saying, I don't know what that means, even if you're pretending not to know what that yeah. means, must feel really painful because you're undermining your state of work. Whereas we, you know, we have a, the license to say, what does that mean? Mm-hmm. And, and, and even more cheekily, we have the license to kind of ask, so what? Yes. Okay, what, what, why do I care? Or when someone goes, oh, we're the best at this. Can you prove that? Mm. You know, we have the answer to ask rude questions and stupid questions. Absolutely. <laughs> and, it, and, and is that naivety? It's a superpower. It's an absolute superpower. You're absolutely right. And I'll tag team. I do. Um, I work a lot with an art director, Keith Noble, and he and I will tag team until you've absolutely drilled down. And if they won't let me into the nuggets, Keith will try. And you can. And by the end of it, we've just got to the heart of it. So he's got his design ideas. I've got my writing hook. But also it's that scenario thing. And these are all things like the first copywriting book was Andy Maslin's Right to Sell. It's the one book I'll never lend to anybody. It's full of squiggles, turned over corners. It is, that's the thing that doesn't leave the bookshelf. And he does like scenario asking in that. So what happens if I come to you for this product? What happens if I don't come to you for this product? What what won't happen if I come to you this product? What will happen if I come to you for this product? And by the time you've got to the fourth one, they're telling you all the lines that you need for the website. So it's, there's a, and Andy did psychology and you can so tell in the way that he writes because it's all people. It's all really quite simple what we do, but fascinating because it's all people. Same thing. And and everything is connected all the way through. So I'm sure you find this as well. You go from project to project to project and people start telling you the same things. You're like, I did that on the last project. I've just learned about this because the trends emerge in business and we just get to kind of, sometimes we ride the wave. We're a little bit ahead of it for people and other times we're catching up. So yeah, we do. We have license, license to thrill. Thanks again, Catherine. That's a really helpful response to Dave's question. We'll put links to the Hayden Gray and all the other resources you mentioned in the show notes. Robin, what stood out for you there? Quite a lot, actually. Um, I really love everything Catherine said. And I think particularly this idea of asking the basic questions. Mm. Like I'm such an advocate for asking stupid questions or as Catherine put it, um, applying intelligent naivety. That's, that's um, such... <laughs> so that's good. The, yeah, <laughs> like I, I've been searching for that phrase. You know, I can't wait to casually drop into my next meeting. Yeah, absolutely. Just, just as, as copywriters, you get to be the dumbest person in the room. And I think as we said, it's just a superpower. That, that license to ask that slightly rude question that, that as grown-up business people, we're not supposed to ask, right? Yeah, and I think I'm actually really glad um, you guys spoke about that because sometimes I think as a writer, I worry that I come off a bit rude if I'm in meetings with people in briefings and I'm sitting there going, yeah, but why? Why is this important? Why should I care? And so it's like (laughs) really reassuring to know that other people also sit there and ask these kind of stupid questions. I genuinely, I once did a talk where um, people... I'd, I was speaking at an event and I smuggled, I'd got my kids out of school and I smuggled my kids into the event and I got someone on stage to explain what they do and they were an accountant and they're like, oh, we do this and that and that. And I literally put my like five-year-old daughter in front of him just to go, why? Why? <laughs> 
until he said something that she could understand, like why you do these things. And then I had, I had my, my, my son, who's, who was slightly older and slightly ruder, and, and, and I got him to just kind of keep asking, so what? I love that, like getting your kids in there at an early age. Um, it's funny you should say that as well, because something we often do at WeTransfer as like a little exercise, this type of stuff, is Eli 5. Um, have you heard of that before? No, no, I haven't. Um, so it's a little acronym, which usually I'm pretty anti-acronym. Uh, stands for explain it like I'm five. Sure. So I think it comes from like a Reddit thread um, where people just kind of go to get simple explanations um, to the, like, I guess, concepts or problems or questions. But I guess the clues in the name, the idea is that you want to explain something you the way you'd explain it to a five-year-old or in a way that a five-year-old would understand. So like sometimes if we're getting a brief in about a new tool or a new feature at WeTransfer, We'll do it as an exercise with like our product marketing managers and break down this thing the way that we would explain it so a five-year-old would understand it. Or sometimes in my head I think as well, would my grandparents understand this? One of the things about WeTransfer with our free product, our audience is so broad, so we mm. have to make sure everyone can kind of understand what we're talking about. Um, so yeah, like breaking down functionality and explaining it the way you could to a five-year-old is a really good kind of thought starter for when you're writing copy about things. But that's the starting point for the copy, if you like, not the not the finishing point, because obviously you have a lot. You know, your 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 pro users and your bread and butter users, you know, are going to be kind of you know marketers, designers, you know, experts in their job and stuff as well, right? Yeah, and um, we do actually have a slightly different tone of voice for our uh, pro audience, which mm. I really like. So we have a, a paid subscription service that we transfer, mm. we transfer pro. We also just dropped uh, we transfer premium as well, where you get mm. unlimited everything. Um, but yeah, with our kind of pro and premium audience, we know that these are kind of small business owners, creatives, they work in agencies. So we're able to be a bit more kind of tongue-in-cheek sometimes with our copy and really make specific references to the creative industry like we can make jokes about like kerning and pixels and we understand it will alienate some people but the type of people we're going after will get the reference and you know we can kind of empathize like oh we know working with clients can sometimes suck but we're here to help you like just these <laughs> little nuggets that we know this audience will relate to absolutely so much about kind of knowing your your audience so how do you take it from being um, easy to understand and being clear and to actually take it into something that's, that's engaging and that people actually actively enjoy? Yeah, it's great. It's tricky to kind of put your finger on it sometimes, especially because I mm-hmm. started WeTransfer as the very first copywriter like four years ago. So I actually got to establish the whole tone of voice and and kind of put that together. So it's largely based on my own personality. Um, so, so I can't really... <laughs> so it's just you. I can't really put it into a formula Fair. of, okay, this is how we make it sound appealing because it's just kind of, okay, how does it sound in my head? Which makes, you know, documenting our style guide and stuff difficult. But I do have like a few go-to um, methods that aren't just get inside my head and see how I'm talking about it. Um, <laughs> I think I can't remember where I heard it first um, so apologies if I'm like misreferencing someone but I read this 
idea that copywriting is rarely about writing about products. It's more writing about problems. Mm-hmm. And Catherine does kind of touch on that where she talks about finding the human emotion in what you're writing about and finding your brand's why. Because um, when you're writing, I guess, like landing page copy or even email copy, something where you're trying to convert someone, you're not really writing about what your product is. You should be writing about the problem it's solving for them. So how is your mm. service or product making their lives easier? What's it solving for them? What frustration are you removing from their life? Like how will their lives get progressively worse if they didn't invest in whatever you're selling? And that's kind of something I keep in mind. You shouldn't be writing about your product. You should be framing it as what's the problem and how are you the solution? And also trying to avoid just saying we and I and talking about yourself. You should always kind of be writing in the second person and talking yeah. about using like things like you and your and yeah, yeah. And speaking directly I- to people. Absolutely. Like I, I had used to have this uh, write a lot in the um, work in the public sector, and you know there was a lot of kind of very kind of jargon filled stuff. And you know, by the time I was writing PR, I was having to get it into the newspapers and stuff. And I was like, well, fundamentally, why should people care? And usually, anything that you as an organisation wants to communicate, there's a reason that you're communicating it. Right? You need to tell somebody, and they need to know because of something. And actually it's the, well, why, why are you, there are very few things that are, I think that are actually intrinsically boring. You know, that actually it's, it's how they're wrapped up, it's how they're presented. But when you get down to it, somebody needs to care about it because it makes a difference to them. And why do they need to know? Isn't that kind of what it, what it comes down to? Who, who are you talking to? How would they talk about it, and why should they care? If you've got those things, you know, then you're automatically making it a bit more engaging, I think. Yeah, and I think what you're saying about nothing's, you know, ever boring, it's all of the copywriters I know are just inherently curious people. Like, they want to get to the bottom of things. You know, we end up in late-night Google and Wikipedia rabbit holes, like about some random subject and I think kind of getting that passion to translate to whatever you're writing about is a real skill and yeah quite often just breaking things down to their simplest format and you know I would have I had a previous manager who whenever I'd write copy would just be like yeah but what are you trying to say what are you trying to say what why why should I care why should I care say it less like say it in I think he would say like say it in three sentences now try to say it in three words and really get to the core of what you want to say. Um, I think once you can do that, yeah, it's, you, can, you can get people to care about it. Before we wrap up, there's time for some more inclusive writing advice from Etty Bailey King. Copywriting pro tip. No euphemisms. Steer clear of euphemisms, coded language, or awkward, anxious workarounds for talking about people's identities. Just be clear and specific and accurate. Euphemisms signal discomfort and they reinforce stigma. If you're not sure whether something is considered a euphemism, then you might want to run it by some people from that affected community or 
you could very quickly check on social media and see who's using that language. Is it being used by people from that community? And are they using it with what looks like energy, enthusiasm and pride? If not, it's potentially the kind of euphemism that's used by people outside the community and just reinforces otherness. So some examples of euphemism here might be the way that many white people will use the word diversity when they actually should be talking about anti-racism or anti-white supremacy or anti-oppression. Other euphemisms might be terms that you might have heard in the past, for example, handicapped, which used to be a phrase that was used for disabled people. Thanks, Etty, for that tip. And listener, you can hear more inclusive writing advice from Etty next time. Thanks also to Catherine and to Melanie for sharing your advice in this episode. And thanks to Dave for the question. I hope you found our answers useful. And thanks to you, Robin. You've been an awesome co-host. Um, delighted to have been your first podcast experience. I, I, hope, I hope it's not been too traumatic. I know, honestly, I'm thrilled. <laughs> Had a great time. Absolutely come back uh, anytime. Um, and remember, listener, it could be your question we answer in a future episode. If you have a question for B2B Q&A to answer, email a voice memo to podcast at radix-communications.com or find us on social media. I'll see you next time for another B2B Q&A. Until then, make good content. And remember... No subject is inherently boring, though I did once write about a company who drilled very precise holes in very hard metal, and that... Yeah, I have to concede that one. (laughs) Goodbye. Goodbye!